Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. This year's Nobel Prize in Physics has been jointly awarded to three scientists. Pierre Agostini, Ferenc Krausch, and Lan Luyer have studied how electrons function in matter. Prize winner Luyer says their work has two main points. The first point is to examine how electrons behave during the tiniest fraction of a second. But the second one uh, is uh, much more practical and it's coming. It's uh, this radiation that uh, we produce is also useful for the semiconductor industry as as an imaging tool. So this is also coming uh, with uh, practical application. The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences also says it hopes their work will lead to better electronics and to an improved ability to diagnose diseases. The U.S. Supreme Court hears arguments today in a case that could threaten the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. NPR's Nina Totenberg reports a ruling could potentially affect other federal agencies, such as the Federal Reserve. After the 2008 financial crash, Congress created the CFPB to protect consumers from what were seen as predatory and deceptive practices by financial institutions. Since then, the Bureau has established consumer protections for financial transactions ranging from mortgages to credit cards. Now, however, the Bureau's survival is being challenged by payday lenders who have often reaped enormous profits from people of limited means who need a short-term loan for a small amount. The payday lenders are challenging CFPB rules barring practices such as tacking on fees multiple times a day when a loan is overdue, the result being that borrowers can end up owing many thousands of dollars on a $250 loan. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. The United Nations Security Council has voted to authorize deployment of an international police force to Haiti. It will be led by Kenya. Linda Fasulo reports the police force will go to help stop rampant gang violence in Haiti. The multinational security mission has a one-year mandate and will be funded through voluntary contributions. Kenya has pledged to send 1,000 police to Haiti, but it's not yet clear which other countries besides the Bahamas and Jamaica will participate or how many police they will provide. The U.S. has offered more than $100 million in funding. And regarding questions of past human rights violations by Kenyan police, U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield said the Security Council will engage participating countries to hold accountable any personnel who may be implicated in human rights abuses. For NPR News, I'm Linda Fasulo in New York. You're listening to NPR News. I'm Rupa Shanoi. This is WBUR in Boston. Massachusetts Attorney General Andrea Campbell has named the first director of her office's reproductive justice unit. Sapna Kaptri comes from UCLA, where she launched the school's reproductive justice program. Kaptri says this unit will be an important tool to lead the way to access to reproductive health care. We must work to tackle the harmful practices of crisis pregnancy centers. We must work to protect access to abortion care and gender-affirming care. We must work to critically examine the growth of technology and enact protections for our data privacy and security. The new unit will focus on expanding and protecting access to reproductive and gender-affirming care and addressing disparities in maternal health. Massachusetts farmers say several rounds of flooding this year are impacting their fall harvest. Alden Bourne reports that includes rainstorms, which hit the region late last week. 
Joe Sikowski farms 400 acres in Hadley, Greenfield, Gill, and Amherst. Half of the butternut squash is lost, and probably half the pumpkins. He says he's also lost 17 acres of carrots. David Fisher owns Natural Roots Farm in Conway, which offers vegetable shares, but he says he's not harvesting anything. He says he got flooded three times in July. It's been pretty much a total disaster for us. We had about 95% crop loss. We had to till in our entire main production field, so we've actually had essentially no vegetables this year. Fisher says other area farms have donated produce so he can keep supplying his farm share customers. Both he and Joe Sikowski say they've applied for grants from the state to cover some of their losses. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Alden Bourne. There are new allegations of harassment at the Worcester Art Museum. A former former curator says she faced retaliation after filing an internal sexual harassment complaint against the museum's director in August. The report comes after another former curator filed a complaint in July. She says she was discriminated against because of her race. Documents obtained by the Boston Globe show an investigator hired by the museum found the discrimination claim credible. The museum's director has not commented on the sexual harassment report. The Steamship Authority has canceled a few morning trips between Woods Hole and Vineyard Haven. That's after one of its ferries was taken out of service yesterday. It was damaged while docking in Oak Bluffs. Steamship Authority officials say repairs and a Coast Guard inspection are necessary before it returns to service. It's not a smooth morning on the orange line of the T either. Buses are replacing trains right now between Malden Center and Sullivan Square because of track repairs. It's 7.06. WBUR supporters include William James College. Open house tomorrow. School psychology, counseling, ABA, organizational psychology, and more. WilliamJames.edu. And H&H, the Handel and Haydn Society. Experience Handel's timeless tale of triumph over adversity, Israel and Egypt, this weekend. HandelandHaydn.org. The Bruins have a 1-3 record in preseason matchup so far. They lost to the Flyers 3-1 last night in Philadelphia. The Bees have two more exhibition games before the regular season starts. They'll host the Washington Capitals tonight. Sunny today and warm. It's going to be in the low to mid-80s. Clear and warm overnight with temperatures in the 60s. Sunny and a little more humid tomorrow. 80s inland, 70s at the coast. Right now, it's 56 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Jarl and Pamela Moan, focusing on civil liberties, foster youth, public radio, and the arts. I'm Lisa Mullins. Local news is more relevant than ever before. Whether we're covering climate change or income inequality or health care, these issues affect us right where we live. WBUR's local journalism needs a strong future, but that's far from certain. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. Lisa Mullins there reminding you of our goal this fundraiser, this fall fundraiser. We're trying to bring on 2,500 new monthly contributors. That will allow us to continue to bring you all the programs you listen to. And right now, we are not where we need to be. We are 
considerably behind, in fact, with the deadline coming up. This fundraiser ends at the end of the day on Thursday, and we need to make this happen in order to secure WBUR's future. Because here's how it works at WBUR. Listeners are our lifeline. They fuel WBUR. And this is when that happens, during these fundraisers. So this is when we need you to step up. We're asking you to start a monthly gift for WBUR, or if you're already a monthly contributor, thank you very much. Please think about adding a dollar or two to your existing monthly support. You know that the cost of everything has gone up. It's gone up for you and it's gone up for us. That means we need your support. This is the best thing you can do to help secure our future. So give what you can. We'll appreciate whatever is right for you. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. In case I haven't said, I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi. I'm here with Amory Sievertson, host of our podcast, Endless, the Endless Thread podcast. Hey there, Rupa. And and as you said, give what you can, but also, may I add, give right now in the next five minutes because your contribution for the next five minutes until 7.15, if you're not in front of a clock, your contribution will be tripled. A group of generous listeners have stepped up to do their part to, to match your contribution three times over, which means that if you can give $10 a month right now for WBUR, that becomes $30 a month for a full year. If you can give $20 a month, that becomes $60 a month for a full year. If you can give a larger gift right now, if you can give $100 a month to WBUR, that will become $300 just because you made that gift in the next five minutes. So that's what this is about. It's about everybody doing their part, whether it's $5 a month or $100 a month, as I just said, or more. You know what right for you. But it's about everybody doing their part to help us meet that goal, because that goal represents what it takes to bring you the news and information that you are turning to right now in this very moment on this very morning. So be there for us by calling 1-800-909-9287 or going to WBUR.org. And for the next four minutes, that contribution will be tripled. Have you ever wondered how you would feel if tomorrow you woke up and public radio was just gone? Oh, man, that would be tough. I think it would be devastating. Well, I would grieve because there would be no replacement for it. We asked listeners around the country that very question. I've been listening to NPR for a long time. So NPR has been a giant part of my life. And I would be devastated if it wasn't there anymore. It would be a very depressing ride to work. I don't know if there's enough cups of coffee in the world that would be able to get me over that. There, there really is nothing else like it. We donate, but there's a lot of people out there that listen that probably don't donate. And I think uh, that's a really great thing to put into perspective is how would you feel? There's an easy way to feel good about public radio and the financial health of your station. Just support it. Really, do it right now. Call or go online. Your tax-deductible contribution will help ensure public radio isn't going anywhere. It'll be here when you turn on your radio tomorrow. And thanks. But when we are here tomorrow, it is only because of listeners like you who gave, who gave monthly to make sure that they we would be here tomorrow and the tomorrow after that and the tomorrow after that. That's how it works here. You make us possible. And this is when we come to you to remind you that we need 
you to step up. It is important that you join the community of listeners who support WBUR and make sure we can continue to bring you the news you depend on into the future. And that's not a sure thing. We're trying to sustain our newsroom. You've seen other newsrooms dwindle and collapse all over the country. It's rampant. That news you depend on from us every day It comes at a huge and constant expense, and that expense is getting bigger because all expenses are getting bigger. The solution is you. We need you to call and give in whatever amount is right for you. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. This is your last chance to have your monthly contribution to WBUR tripled. So act now, 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. WBUR supporters include AE Events, design and production of corporate and nonprofit events, weddings and conferences. Website at aeevents.com. Authentic, artful, accomplished. And Science Club for Girls, growing the 4% of Black and Latina female scientists and engineers and transforming the face of STEM. Donate at scienceclubforgirls.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil in Washington, D.C. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy could face a vote that might cost him his job. That might come as soon as this week. Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida has followed through on a threat to McCarthy's leadership and taken the first step toward removing him. He's filed what's called a motion to vacate. The challenge follows the weekend deal with Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. If Kevin McCarthy works for Democrats and utilizes Democrats in order to keep power, that would be consistent with everything we've seen from him. And we need someone who can connect the most conservative features of our conference uh, to the most moderate features of our conference. If Speaker McCarthy can't find consensus within his own party, he could look to votes from Democrats to save his job. Massachusetts Representative Catherine Clark is House Minority Whip. She joins us now. Representative, what would it take for you to get behind Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker? Well, I can tell you how House Democrats are looking at this. What we are witnessing is a full-scale civil war in the House GOP. And we are going to make a decision, maybe as early as this morning, on how to move forward. And we are going to make that decision the way that we look at everything we do in the House. What is the best way to make progress for the American people. That is our touchstone, and that's how we're going to evaluate how to move forward with this critical vote on Speaker McCarthy. You said as early as this morning that you might move forward. Uh, What kind of concessions would your party be looking for in exchange to helping McCarthy keep his job? We're going to come together this morning uh, as a Democratic caucus for family discussion on how to proceed. But what we are looking at is a situation where Kevin McCarthy has eroded any trust that he had going forward. That is the backdrop as we look at back at how he came into power by catering to Marjorie Taylor Greene and the most extreme factions of his conference. And who has been left out of this are people at home who are worried about the GOP's attacks on Social Security, on our public schools, on the freedom of reproductive rights in this country. 
And we've seen this. We've already seen Kevin McCarthy in the House GOP bring us to the edge of a cataclysmic default on our economy that could have plunged us into a global recession. So Kevin McCarthy made a deal that he has never lived up to. So if he has eroded trust, as you said, um, would you be able to trust him to make a deal with him to keep him in his position? You know, that is, we are gonna have to see if and when Kevin McCarthy offers something, but it is it is hard to trust someone who made a, had a negotiation with the President of the United States signed a deal, 314 of us already voted on that in a bipartisan way, and he walked away. So, so he this hasn't offered so, anything yet. He has, McCarthy has not offered uh, your caucus anything yet. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, he has not. Okay. The, the temporary resolution that passed last weekend does not include any money at all for Ukraine. Um, will Democrats make Ukraine a must-have provision for any future spending deal? That still has to happen. You know, we are very concerned that uh, the House GOP catered to the pro-Putin caucus uh, in their in their party and left behind the fight for this democracy. And we are clear eyed that when we are helping Ukraine fight um, for their survival as a sovereign nation, we are helping our national security and our democracy. So this is very much going to be part of the discussions because it's critical to remember that the the stopgap measure that we passed only extended the federal budget for 45 days. Right. So in mid-November, we are going to be right back at this negotiation. Part of the discussion and, or a deal breaker for Democrats? Uh, you know, it, it could be both. What we are urging is that that Kevin McCarthy uh, bring up a standalone bill. We had one in the House and that allowed us to make sure that we were getting support. We know the votes are there if they'll bring it to the floor. All right, that's Massachusetts Democrat uh, Catherine Clark, the minority whip in the House. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. The gridlock in Congress we've been talking about has some real consequences for Ukraine. The compromise deal to keep the government running left out $6 billion in military assistance that Ukraine and President Biden said was urgently needed. Biden even warned lawmakers that time was running out to support Ukraine's counteroffensive. Yeah, its troops are making limited progress on retaking Russian-occupied land and winter's approaching. And the longer Russia's war on Ukraine lasts, the more support for Ukraine seems to waver, especially among Republicans in Congress. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky knows this. Here's what he said to our co-host Stephen Skeep in a recent interview. We have to kind of be very strict and very fast because we might lose the trust and the support of our partners. Over the weekend, Congress passed a short-term spending bill to keep the government running through mid-November. Not included in the bill was additional aid for Ukraine. And now there's a move to oust House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, creating further instability. Joining us now to discuss all this from the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, is NPR's Joanna Kakissis. Joanna, how are the uh, Ukrainian leaders reacting to Congress's decision to forego aid in this uh, short-term spending bill? 
Yeah, so President Zelensky is still advocating for more aid because Ukraine desperately needs it. But the government also seems to have realized that large amounts of military aid won't last forever. So Ukraine is actively looking for long-term alternatives to foreign military aid. Just last Friday, a defense forum in Kyiv, the government brought together international arms manufacturers from dozens of countries. President Zelensky told the forum that Ukraine has to make progress on the battlefield every day. And to make that happen, Ukraine's new defense minister, Rustam Umerov, says he wants Ukraine to partner with its allies and defense industry leaders to manufacture world-class weapons. He's saying our mission is to produce weapons to cover Ukraine's needs right now, and then after the war, to export those weapons. All right, now another winner approaches of all this. Uh, Where do things stand on the battlefield? Well, there's been some incremental progress on the front line, mainly in the south and the east, but Ukrainian forces have been stymied for two main reasons. One is landmines. Uh, The southern front is uh, filled with them, and Ukrainian forces have to clear them or go around them so they can sever the land bridge to Crimea. That would cut off Russian supply routes. And the other reason for the slow progress is that Russians have learned from their mistakes early in the war and are fighting more effectively. Uh, Now, I just mentioned Crimea. That's the southern peninsula in Ukraine that Russia occupied in 2014. Ukrainian forces have recently made bold strikes there, attacking Russian positions with long-range missiles provided by the West. Now, in a letter to congressional leaders, the Pentagon warned that it's uh, running low on money to replace weapons that they sent to Ukraine. So what does that mean for this uh, counteroffensive? Yeah, well, that's probably not going to help the counteroffensive, but the Ukrainians are determined to end this war on their terms, and that means getting all their land back. Uh, But they know that this is going to come at a high cost. Uh, This weekend, we were at a memorial in central Kyiv celebrating Ukraine soldiers, and that's where we met 39-year-old Sergei Manko. He spends his weekends delivering supplies to soldiers. And he's saying here that when he visits the front line, he hears soldiers talking all the time about how every piece of land they retake comes at the expense of someone's life. Joanna, how is the slow pace, the counteroffensive playing out with Ukraine's other allies? So on Monday, yesterday, foreign ministers from countries in the European Union showed up here in Kyiv to show their support for Ukraine and for fast-tracking Ukraine's EU membership. Uh, But there are cracks here and they're growing. Hungary, for example, is already friendly with the Kremlin and a pro-Kremlin party won elections in Slovakia this weekend. All right, that's NPR's Joanna Kakissis in Kyiv. Joanna, thanks. You're welcome. At Costco, members can stock up on toilet paper, peanut butter, eggs, and gold bars. That's right. Costco is selling one-ounce gold bars on its website for about 2000 bucks a piece. The Costco situation is emblematic of just the growing demand in precious metals in the U.S. Stefan Gleason is the president of Money Metals Exchange. It's one of the largest gold and silver dealers in the country. And while you may be able to buy gold bars with your rotisserie chicken now, that gold from Costco won't come with instructions. So Gleason says would-be investors might want to consider options other than a big box warehouse store. They are not expert in handling or dealing with precious metals. There's certainly no advice or information that they're going to provide. 
to help people understand the different options there are. All right, I know what you're thinking. Are gold bars a good investment? Well, we asked Michael Rosen, the chief investment officer at Angelus Investment Advisors. Costco members would be much better served buying a share of Costco than an ounce of gold. Rosen says other investments stand to gain more value than gold and faster. If you look at over the last, say, 20 years, gold is up about 50 percent. S&P is up about 500 percent, so 10 times what gold has gone up. And Costco is up about 2,500 percent or 50 times what gold has been. So maybe Costco isn't about to be the scene of the next gold rush, but isn't that Costco hot dog as good as gold? This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Lessons in Chemistry. Oscar winner Brie Larson stars as a chemist who hosts a cooking show, proving life doesn't follow a formula. Streaming October 13th on Apple TV+. Bridgewater State University, hosting Nobel Peace Prize laureate Lech Walesa on campus tonight. Bridgew.edu slash events. And Greener U a design-build firm that plans, engineers, and builds solutions for getting to carbon neutrality. GreenerU.com I'm Anthony Brooks. There is an inseparable link between the journalism that you rely on from WBUR and the listener support that makes it possible. Listener support continues to carry WBUR like never before. That's why your monthly gift is so important right now. To give, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thanks. Anthony Brooks there, one of the reliable voices you know you can trust from WBUR. And that inseparable link he describes, it's very real. Listeners make WBUR possible. They are the largest share of our support. And right now in our fall fundraiser, this is when we come to you and remind you of that. Every morning, me and the team here at Morning Edition, we're thinking about how we sustain you by bringing you the news you need to know to be fully informed about your world and your community. When you listen, you can trust that you are fully informed. And this is when we ask you to remember to sustain us to make sure we can continue doing that for you. This fundraiser, we want to bring on 2,500 new members to our community of listeners who give monthly to support WBUR. And we ask for monthly support because it helps us plan in an increasingly uncertain environment. Rescue us in our time of need. Step up and help us catch up in this fundraiser. How many times did I just say up? (laughs) WBUR.org. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi, and in the studio this morning is Endless Thread host Amory Severson. Good morning, Rupa, and good morning to you listening out there. I don't think that you need me to tell you how important WBUR is to you. You know exactly how important WBUR is to you. You're listening during a fundraiser. You're listening on a Tuesday morning. This is how you start your day. This is 
is how you stay informed. This is how you get a sense of what is happening in your community, in your region, in your state, in your world. So we're asking you right now to be a part of our community. And here's Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering to tell you a little bit more about what Excuse me, why that is so important. On Radio Boston, we set out to really get to know the people who represent us in Congress. I mean, we know their policies. We know what they're doing in Washington. We know the bills they file. But what about why they file those bills or why they even decided to try to serve in the first place? So we set out to do that. And it worked. Take Ed Markey, for example. It turns out that his commitment to climate, it goes all the way back to his childhood and the contamination that he grew up with in Malden. My mother would say to me, Eddie, whatever you do, you're the oldest. Don't swim in the Malden River. We're in Wad 2, where all of the industries are, and we're using the rivers, the ground, the air, as their dumping ground. We learned about Ayanna Presley and how much the death of her mother has moved her. Her mother's death was a transition for her, and her mother's spirit motivates her, and it moves her forward. I told myself that my mother physically was transitioning, and now I would absorb that energy. I would absorb and carry with me the best parts of her. And Seth Moulton, he saw enough death and trauma when he served four tours in Iraq that he actually came home and fought for a mental health hotline. A woman walked up to me and she said, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want you to know that your law saved my daughter's life. And her 12-year-old daughter was standing there next to her. That's why I keep doing this. We tell people stories because we know that when we understand each other, we are stronger as a community. Tiziana Daring there, another of your daily companions. You expect WBUR to bring you every day in order to make sense of what's going on around you. Support that work and WBUR right now. Help us make up ground in this fundraiser. We are considerably behind. Become one of the 2,500 listeners we're trying to bring on as monthly contributors. We have ways to say thank you, as always, and we have a particularly popular popular gift to say thank you right now. It's the Eton Radio. When you give $12 a month, you'll be helping WBUR secure a strong future and you'll be giving yourself security that if there's ever an extended power outage, you'll have a self-powered radio to stay connected to vital news. So it has a USB phone charger, an LED flashlight. You will be grateful for it in an emergency. You will also be grateful you are able to support WBUR. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Drexel University, whose cooperative education program works to empower students to explore future careers and discover their ideal profession before graduation. This is experiential education. More at drexel.edu. From Fisher Investments, Fisher Investments' team of specialists offer guidance on investing, retirement income, and social security. Fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. From BritBox, streaming new and familiar British comedies starring Greg Davies, David Tennant, Ricky Gervais, Chris O'Dowd, and others. Available at BritBox.com NPR. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. 
The U.N. Security Council has voted to have Kenya head up a multinational security force in Haiti. The one-year mission will be to crack down on gang violence. Jeffrey De Laurentiis is a U.S. senior advisor for Security Council Affairs. We have stepped up to create a new way of preserving global peace and security, answering the repeated calls of a member state facing a multidimensional crisis amid alarming, spiraling gang violence. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the force could deploy within months. LaFonza Butler will be sworn in today to the U.S. Senate. The Democratic activist was chosen by California Governor Gavin Newsom to serve out the term of Senator Dianne Feinstein, who died last week at the age of 90. Scott Schaefer with member station KQED has more. Basically, Newsom said that her experience just meets the moment. LaFonza Butler is uniquely positioned, simply the best person uh, that I could find for this moment and this job. She's coming into an institution where seniority is everything, and she's dead last in seniority. I don't think we'll hear any big policy pronouncements from her. Um, But the big question really is, will she run for six years, or is she just going to fill out the rest of Dianne Feinstein's uh, term? She'll be sworn in by Vice President Harris. This is NPR News. This is WBUR in Boston. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Congressman Jake Auchincloss is defending his decision to support a 45-day spending bill that did not include aid for Ukraine. Federal lawmakers passed that bill over the weekend to avoid a government shutdown for now. Auchincloss told WBUR's Radio Boston yesterday that the compromise was necessary to ensure that government services continue. But he says that supporting Ukraine signals Americans' values. This is the last time I am going to be supporting a compromise effort that does not have clear, credible and concrete terms for supporting Ukraine in it because they're fighting on the front lines of the free world. This is a defining issue of uh, this Congress. Auchincloss also blames rhetoric from former President Donald Trump for the drop in support for Ukraine among Republicans. Massachusetts has more than 100,000 acres of rooftops that could be used to generate solar power. That's according to a new analysis by researchers at Mass Audubon and Harvard. The report also suggests parking garages could be used for solar technology. Researchers say that's a better location for solar power than the 5,000 acres of land already cleared in the state for solar arrays. A painter who was previously evicted from a dune shack in Provincetown will be able to stay there for five more years. The National Park Service announced that it would let the public apply to occupy some of the remote shacks on the national seashore. Salvatore Del Deo and his family came to an agreement with the Park Service this week. The family had been caring caring for the shack for nearly eight decades. It's 735. WBUR supporters include solar gardens. Residents can support clean energy without installing solar panels. Learn more at solargardensma.com. A heads up for T-Riders, regular service has resumed on the orange line between Malden Center and Sullivan Square, but the T warns there may be some lingering delays. In sports, the Bruins lost to the Flyers 3-1 in an exhibition game last night in Philadelphia. The Bees will host the Washington Capitals tonight. Low 80s today under sunny skies. Those skies stay clear tonight as it falls to a low in the mid-50s. Tomorrow, sunny again with a high in the upper 70s. Right now, it's 57 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Walton Family Foundation. 
working to solve social and environmental problems to improve lives today and benefit future generations. More information at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. From Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. More information is available online at carnegie.org. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil. And I'm e. Martinez. National polls put Donald Trump far ahead of his rivals for the Republican presidential nomination. But in the early voting state of New Hampshire, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley has vaulted into second place. Josh Rogers of New Hampshire Public Radio reports. When Nikki Haley speaks in New Hampshire, and at this point she's logged more than 50 local campaign events, she often ends by noting her odds in this race may seem long, but she likes her chances. I have been underestimated in everything I've ever done. And it's a blessing because it makes me scrappy. No one's going to outwork me in this race. No one's going to outsmart me in this race because we have a country to save. Haley's prescription for saving America, equal parts fiscal discipline, muscular diplomacy, and traditional family values can feel like a throwback to the pre-Trump GOP. And at times, Haley does almost sound like she's running on nostalgia itself. Do you remember when you were growing up, how simple life was? How safe it felt? It was about faith, family, and country. Haley's approach to winning over 2024 Republican voters, conservative policies, but pitched without the hard edges of some of her GOP rivals, appears to be working. Several recent polls show her gaining steam in New Hampshire, and as she's campaigned here, Haley's shown a deft touch navigating issues that divide her party. From Ukraine, Haley supports strong U.S. backing of the country, to Trump, who she mostly praises but also calls thin-skinned, and perhaps most conspicuously on the combustible issue of abortion. Haley identifies as unapologetically pro-life and signed a 20-week abortion ban as governor, but she also downplays the idea of pushing for new federal abortion prohibitions. We have to humanize this issue. I am not going to be part of demonizing this issue. It's too personal to everyone. And the fellas have done that for too long, no offense, but it is time that we start treating it like the sensitive topic that it is. That was Haley speaking to the Portsmouth Rotary Club recently. Several Republicans in the crowd praised Haley's resume, message, and approach. New Hampshire is a place where plenty of GOP voters do support abortion rights. Former state Republican Party chairman Wayne Semprini likes Haley's positioning on abortion. While undecided in this race, he was leaning towards Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. But Semprini believes DeSantis doomed his chances of reaching the Oval Office when he signed Florida's law banning abortion after six weeks. While I like him, I like a lot of things he's done. I think he's taken himself right out of the game when it comes to the general election. But she's a shop gal. Haley's rise here is mostly coming at DeSantis' expense, so says Neil Levesque of St. Anselm College's Institute of Politics, which recently released a poll showing Haley overtaking DeSantis for second place in New Hampshire. His numbers have started to seriously decline. And it looks like those voters who were siding with him are now primarily in the Nikki Haley column. The challenge for Haley and any other Republican hoping to top Trump for the GOP nomination is swings in momentum here don't seem to be affecting him. The issue is, is that Trump's supporters are not dropping off of Trump. So it's not like he's losing people to Nikki Haley, at least not yet. 
that could change. But for any Republican to reel in Trump, the GOP field will need to shrink. Haley regularly shares her preferred timetable for that winnowing as she campaigns. Couple will drop off in Iowa. They'll come to New Hampshire. I think you're looking at three, maybe four. Couple drop off and you'll have a head to head in my sweet home state of South Carolina. The more traction Haley gains in New Hampshire, the more plausible that scenario could become. For NPR News, I'm Josh Rogers in Concord. As part of our Climate Solutions series, today we hear from China, where a landscape architect is trying to rewrite the rules of urban development and make fast-growing cities more resilient. NPR's John Ruich has a story. In the shade of a willow tree, a man named Li Tao and his buddy are having a relaxing afternoon. They toss lines into a slow-moving river and occasionally pull out tiny fish. It's good to have a place like this for people to relax. This place, called Baisha Creek, has come full circle. The bank used to be concrete, but several years ago, work began to restore wetlands here. Rushes now grow in tall stands, and weeds thrive on the shallow bank. It wasn't so different 50 years ago, when the designer of this park, a man named Yu Kongjian, was nearly swept away by the water here. He was 10 years old. And it was a huge flood. But I survived. You know why? Because I grabbed the willows, the weeds, the reeds, Along the riverbank, decades of turbocharged development meant that that riverbank and many others in China got paved over in concrete to channel the water away from a growing city. Textbooks said that was the thing to do, but Yu says it hasn't worked. All this industrialized solution has some failure or have some bad side effects. He argues that not only would concrete banks have made it harder for a drowning kid to clamber to safety, Flooding has gotten much worse because of so-called gray infrastructure. Almost all of China's medium and large cities are now susceptible to floods, and Yu says 60% of them actually experience flooding every year. Heavy rainfall has become more frequent and intense due to human-driven climate change, making matters worse. So Yu has been evangelizing a solution he calls sponge cities. That is, urban landscapes that are purposely designed to absorb more water. In use words, you actually are playing Tai Chi with nature, not uh, boxing with nature. You actually play Tai Chi with nature. It is revolutionary from that point of view because he's pushing boundaries on what it is that landscape architects do. This is Gareth Doherty. He's an associate professor of landscape architecture at Harvard University. And he says Yu is turning to the natural world for solutions. He's pushing boundaries in terms of the environmental aspects of cleaning water and working with monsoon, working with rain, working with environmental processes rather than against them. When you started to pitch the idea over 20 years ago, he says people thought he was trying to undermine China's development. But he lobbied hundreds of officials over the years, and it slowly caught on. One of Yu's early projects was a few miles from where he fell into the river. A flood wall was failing to protect the area from annual inundation. So instead of building the flood wall higher and higher, I removed the concrete wall and terracing the riverbank. He terraced the riverbank, planted natural grass, willows, and reeds, and installed ponds and permeable paths. Sun Zheng An is a groundskeeper at what's now known as Yanweizhou Park in the city of Jinhua. He says earlier this summer, a typhoon hit with heavy rain and winds that toppled trees. But the spongy park worked. <laughs> The water drained quickly, and there wasn't much pooling. 
About a decade ago, Chinese leader Xi Jinping endorsed the concept of sponge cities. And now dozens of cities around the country have sponge elements. This nature-based solution is also being deployed elsewhere in the world, too, in places like Auckland, Berlin, and Seattle. Yu has become perhaps China's best-known landscape architect. Some even call him the Frederick Law Olmsted of China, a reference to the man who designed New York's Central Park a century and a half ago and put landscape architecture on the map. In the town of Wangping in suburban Beijing, a barren swath of mud, rocks, and debris stretches alongside a river. Locals say it used to be a wetland park, the kind that's supposed to help manage flooding. But torrential rain led to deadly floods during the summer that wiped it out. A volunteer helping with the cleanup says it was simply no match for the extreme weather. Some experts say this kind of devastation shows the very limitations of the sponge city concept in a changing climate. But Erica Geis, author of a book about water management called Water Always Wins, says that may not be the right conclusion. People see a city in China flood from a heavy rain, and then they say, oh, sponge cities doesn't work. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of scale. And it's scale, actually, that's the biggest challenge that sponge cities face in China and beyond. It's a growing movement, but it needs to grow a lot faster and a much bigger scale for it to really help reverse the really extreme scale at which we have altered the natural water cycle. Whether it can reach critical mass is an open question. For his part, Yu says he'll continue to lobby officials at home and abroad because many still don't get it. We still trust that concrete can solve the problem. We still trust that technology can solve the problem. And that mentality, Yu says, not the concrete, is the hardest thing to break. John Ruich, NPR News, Beijing. Support for NPR's Climate Week, a search for solutions, comes from Proven Winners with Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs, offering a varied selection of species to bring year-round interest to landscapes and gardens. ProvenWinnersColorChoice.com slash Native Shrubs. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fort Point Arts Community's Open Studios event, happening October 13th through 15th, featuring artist exhibits, experiencing architecture through VR, and using Legos for model making. For more info, visit fortpointarts.org. WBUR built a multimedia reporting team to provide serious, deep, compelling coverage on one of the most important issues of our time, the environment. Changes to our climate pose serious threats to our communities, our health, and our planet. These threats aren't off in the distance. They are happening today, all around us. To maintain this team and this coverage, WBUR depends on you. Specifically, we are asking for your financial support. I'm Martha Biebinger. A contribution of $10 or $15 a month will have a big impact. Here's how you can help. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And you heard an amazing example of the work from our environmental team this morning about the solar boom in Massachusetts and whether or not it takes trees coming down to drive that boom. This is Morning Edition on WBUR, where we're in our fall fundraiser. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy, here with Endless Thread host Amory Sievertson. We need to tell you that we are considerably behind in our goal to bring on 2,500 new monthly contributors this fundraising. And we need your help because listeners drive WBUR. They are our lifeline. They are our biggest share of funding. And we're asking you to become one of them who gives monthly to make 
make sure this service stays as strong as what you hear every morning. When you give monthly, you give us reliable support and peace of mind that we'll be able to keep WBUR strong into the future. So we're asking 2,500 of you who don't already give to WBUR to recognize what you get from us every day and step up and give monthly. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Here's Amory. Good morning and do this right now. Right now, do not delay because just for the next three minutes here, you will have your contribution, your monthly contribution to WBUR tripled. A group of generous listeners have stepped up because they think it's so important that you support WBUR that everybody who can give does. So can you give $5 a month right now for WBUR? That will become $15 a month for the next year just for making that call in the next, oh, two and a half minutes. Can you give 10 or $20 a month? That 10 or $20 a month will become respectively 30 or $60 a month for WBUR just because you made the call right now. 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And you value the work that you hear. We're showing our commitment to climate coverage this week with a series about solutions and what you can do to combat climate change. That puts solutions in your hands. On Point host Meghna Chakrabarty talks about the focus of our journalism now that climate change has taken on greater urgency. I think people more and more want smart, brave, and almost plain-spoken conversations about solutions. Because most of us agree about what the problem is. And now people want to do something. And they want to do something not just on the global or or national level, because we know what those targets are. And that takes a lot of political will. But people also want to know more about what they can do locally. So we did this fascinating conversation about the idea of carbon removal, about actual machines that could be part of a future climate solution that would sit there. They look like giant air conditioners, essentially, and they'd suck carbon out of the atmosphere and return it to the ground. Lots of complications around a a solution like that. But it was fascinating to think about, like, what are the edges that we can lean into and push our knowledge further, push our ability to find solutions further. But we need your help to make sure this coverage keeps happening, keeps coming to you. We are considerably behind compared to where we need to be this fundraiser. And our deadline is looming. It ends on Thursday. So if you think about how you can make a difference as an individual, this is it. Your monthly gift matters. You can feel confident about that because you listen every day. You know the strong, consistent journalism we bring you. All that happens because of a community of listeners who already give. All you have to do is join them and make them stronger. We need you to call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Just about 30 seconds left to have your contribution tripled for WBUR to triple your impact when we need you so much right now. Call 1-800-909-9287. Go to WBUR.org. Have that monthly gift tripled. And thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Raymond James, a firm focused on transforming lives, businesses, and communities through tailored wealth management, banking, and capital market solutions. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, 
a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at alignprobiotics.com. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. This is WBUR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi. A new exhibit at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art seeks to better serve audiences with disabilities. As WBUR's Solon Kelleher reports, for the first time, MassMOCA is offering audiovisual descriptions and tours in American Sign Language. When Joseph Grigley lost his hearing as a child growing up in western Massachusetts, he didn't know what his life would become. When I became deaf, I thought I would probably end up being a bricklayer. That was his father's profession, but Grigley became an artist instead. His new exhibit at MassMOCA is titled In What Way Wham? and the centerpiece is two towering rooms lined with notes on paper. They're pinned from floor to ceiling, thousands of them. And one room is all on white pieces of paper, and one room is all in color pieces of paper. That's Denise Marconish, chief curator at MassMOCA. For decades, Joseph has been collecting these handwritten notes that people pass to him who don't know sign language. And early on, he just used it as a tool for communication, and he would throw them away. And then he realized that oh, no, this is the material for something, and it's an archive. And so he started collecting them all. It's academic stuff. It's completely inane, ordinary, everyday stuff. There's the stuff people just say in the process of having a normal conversation, as well as sketches and doodles. See, it's a family of three bears, mama bear, daddy bear, baby bear. The piece is titled White Noise, and it's 27 feet long and 14 feet high. Every wall within it is tightly filled from floor to ceiling with notes. If you look around in the tomb, you find that basically laying bricks, but with paper, it's creating grids, making them meaningful. I can imagine my father coming in here and saying, okay, now when you can build a real house or something. This exhibit marks the first time MassMOCA has included audio descriptions, as well as guided tours presented in American Sign Language as part of its accessibility programming. Here was an artist who could help us figure out where to start, and somebody who has been fighting for this for decades and who you could trust to say, like, these are the right ways to do it. The right ways to do it meant calling upon the right artists from across the country. For the audio descriptions, MassMOCA recruited Chicago-based artist Andy Slater. Here he is discussing Grigley's piece titled Between the Walls and Me. One of the funniest things is that he had this huge like, stone cast of his head made, right? And he smashed it against the wall of the gallery. And I suggested that he recorded himself doing that because that is a wonderful part of access. Being able to hear the sound of the stuff smashed against the wall, understanding the impact and the power he put behind it, hearing all the drywall fall on the ground and knowing where it landed on the floor in the gallery and that sort of stuff, I think could be a really cool creative way of describing the thing sonically. American Sign Language tours of this exhibit will be led by deaf and hard of hearing guides. And for Grigley, the effort is about refocusing the narratives of accessibility programming around the experience of having disabilities. It's ideally the perspective of disabled people. It's really a fundamental aspect of 
an angle of the work that typically gets overlooked or under her. In an exhibit about the challenges of being deaf, the frustrations and even isolation, Grigley has also highlighted the moments of connection, the joys, the compassion, the laughter, and what's worth communicating. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Solon Kelleher. Joseph Grigley's In What Way Wham! is open at Mass Mocha in North Adams. It runs through next March. Now the forecast, WBUR meteorologist Danielle Noyce says it's going to be an unseasonably warm few days ahead. Well, if you've missed summer, it's back, at least for a couple of days. High temperatures will climb into the low to mid-80s this afternoon, breaking records in some cities and towns, especially north and west of Boston. Forecasting a high of 82 in the city itself, that would fall a few degrees shy of the record to beat today. A mid-July feel tonight, clear and mild lows in the 60s. Tomorrow, warm again and a little more humid. Highs in the low 80s inland, mid-70s at the coast with the wind off the ocean. Not quite as warm on Thursday, low to mid-70s, still above average for the beginning of October. And then some rain this weekend will usher in a pattern change much cooler again next week with highs in the 50s to low 60s. It's 58 degrees in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Vertex, committed to making a difference in biotech to create and deliver innovative therapies for people with serious diseases. Career opportunities at vrtx.com. You're back with the fall fundraiser on WBUR. We're asking you to think about everything you get from us for free, on air, online, in the form of newsletters and podcasts. All of that can only continue with your support. We need your help. We are considerably behind in where we need to be this fundraiser. The deadline for bringing on 2,500 new monthly contributors is coming up fast. This fundraiser ends on Thursday. Again, we are not where we need to be, and it's going to take you calling 1-800-909-9287 or going to WBUR.org right now to give monthly to get us there. We appreciate all support, but we are especially grateful for that monthly support because it helps us know what we have to work with so we can plan for the future. The number again is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy, joined in the studio by Anne-Marie Sievertson. Sievertson, what is wrong? I can't just, Sievertson. (laughs) Well, you know, it's not an easy name to say. I think you do an admirable job every time, day in and day out. We don't make it easy here, but we do make supporting public radio easy because the model Rupa, it's so um, it's baffling how we do this in the sense that we just ask everyone to give what they can. There will never be a paywall for WBUR where, you know, it's not going to say insert coin to listen. It will always be here for you because we know how important this news source is to all of you and, and how important the facts are and access to the facts are. We're just asking you to do your part. And so at this time, with just a couple days left of this fall fundraiser, when we are considerably behind. If you can do a larger part right now, if that is comfortable for you, if that's what you can do to pitch in, please do. If you can give $1,000 or $5,000 to WBUR, please help us cross the finish line of this fundraiser. We need you right now in any amount as generously as you can. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Local news is so important in this moment. Um, Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering actually talks a lot about that. Local news is being gutted. 
local newspapers, local news sources, and it is in local news, good, attentive, quality journalism, that we both hold local officials accountable, understand the local trends that affect all of us, recognize local solutions. It's how we vote. It's how we go to school. It's how we work. So for WBUR to have the capacity and ability to double down in the local space, to be truly available as a local journalism resource, the stakes are just so high for being able to do that now. Local journalism depends on and deserves local support. Our listeners who support us provide the biggest share of our funding. That's why we're asking you to join them, especially now when we need your help to make up ground as the end of this fundraiser approaches and we need to reach our goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors and we are considerably behind. Start your monthly contribution at WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287. In any amount, be there for us. Is it $5 a month? Is it $20 a month? Is it a larger one-time gift of $1,000, $2,500, $5,000? You know what's right for you. You know that WBUR is an important part of your life. Make it part of your budget and be there for us. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Metro West Subaru, where same day and next day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick, Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.gov. And MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, powering the Engineering Design Workshop exhibit at the Museum of Science, mathworks.com MOS. I'm reporter Deborah Becker, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org, WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. The Nobel Prize in Physics has gone to three researchers for their work generating ultra-short pulses of light. NPR's Jeff Brumfield explains. The prize went to Pierre Augustini of Ohio State University, Ferenc Krauss of the Max Planck Institute for Quantum Optics in Germany, and Anne Louillet of Lund University in Sweden for their work developing attosecond light pulses. An attosecond is a billionth of a billionth of a second. It's a moment in time so brief that these light pulses could be used to glimpse electrons. Electrons are the negative particles whizzing around the cores of atoms. How they move affects everything from chemical reactions to modern electronics. That's why it's called electronics. Seeing electrons even briefly was enough to win these researchers a Nobel. Jeff Brumfield, NPR News. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is facing a leadership challenge. Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates says McCarthy broke promises to hardline House Republicans when he worked with Democrats to pass a short-term spending bill. Gates insists he's got enough Republican support to topple McCarthy as Speaker without help from Democrats. I have made no deal with Democrats because I believe that Democrats should vote against Kevin McCarthy for free. It's Kevin McCarthy who's out there offering deals to Democrats. So if there's a deal made with Democrats, the only deal is, is to make one with McCarthy because I'm not offering anything and won't offer anything. Other House Republicans have urged Gates to drop the challenge. McCarthy has told Gates to, quote, bring it on. 
A federal court hearing is taking place today in Alabama to review proposals for the state's new congressional election map. As NPR's Hansi Lo Wong reports, the hearing is part of a long-running redistricting fight that could help determine which party controls Congress after next year's elections. Republicans hold a slim majority in the U.S. House, and they may be overtaken by additional Democratic pickups in southern states like Alabama. That's where a voting rights lawsuit has put Alabama on track to having two congressional districts where black Alabamians have a realistic chance of electing their preferred candidate. The state's Republican-controlled legislature has been pushing for a map with only one such district, likely violating the Voting Rights Act. Because of how racially polarized voting is in Alabama, those two new districts are likely to elect Democrats. The exact lines of those districts are expected to be decided by a panel of three federal judges after today's hearing. Anzila Wong, NPR News. Separately, a federal trial is underway in Florida over a redrawn congressional district. Lawyers representing black voters allege Florida Governor Ron DeSantis improperly took apart a congressional district where black voters could select their preferred candidate. Lawyers for DeSantis say the map was redrawn to better reflect natural boundaries instead of race or party. Texas Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar was carjacked in Washington, D.C. last night. His office says he was not hurt. D.C. police say they're looking for three suspects. You're listening to NPR News. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. A new report finds private planes operating out of Hanscom Field in Bedford produced more than 100,000 tons of carbon emissions over an 18-month period. The report comes as opponents voice concerns about a proposed expansion of the airfield. WBUR's Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez reports one of those concerns is the impact on the environment. The report from the Institute for Policy Studies finds an expansion would benefit people who can afford to fly private, but it could exacerbate harm to the environment. According to the Institute, private jets emit at least 10 times more pollutants than commercial planes per passenger. State Senator Michael Barrett says expanding Hanscom would encourage more private flights. The immediate ask is that the Massport Board of Directors just says no. No to the contracts, no to the proposal. The Massachusetts Port Authority operates Hanscom and says in an email the expansion responds to existing demand and would not go against Massport's commitment to the environment. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez. Worcester officials want to reconnect parts of the city cut off from one another by Interstate 290. The city is seeking federal money to redevelop the Vernon Hill, Green Island, and Canal District neighborhoods. They were severely impacted by the highway's construction in the 1950s. Plans could include removing or retrofitting existing roadways. Mammograms and ultrasounds will now be part of the slate of free early detection cancer screenings available to firefighters. State Department of Fire Services spokesman Jake Wark says firefighters are at a greater risk of developing cancer than the general public. He says a national survey conducted in 2019 and 2020 among women firefighters found more than 25 percent developed breast cancer. Most of those cases were discovered when they were seeking medical care for symptoms rather than during routine or cancer-specific screening, uh, which is why we found it important to offer this uh, additional screening opportunity. Wark says firefighters can register for free screenings on the State Department of Fire Services website. 
A longtime figure in the Boston theater world has died. Spiro Voluto spent more than two decades as, at the Lyric Stage in Boston. He was the company's artistic director and also headed many plays. Voluto's was also known for supporting female directors and actors of color. His sister tells the Boston Globe he died at his home in Boston. He was 71 years old. It's 8.07. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by The Huntington. Presenting Fat Ham, the 2022 Pulitzer Prize winner reinvents Hamlet with a queer black twist. Now through October 29th, HuntingtonTheater.org. And Brown University's Executive Master of Business Administration program, rethinking the role of business as a vehicle for change. Professional.brown.edu. The Bruins lost to the Flyers 3-1 last night in an exhibition game in Philadelphia. The Bees will host the Washington Capitals tonight. Sunny today and warm. It's going to be in the low to mid-80s. Clear and warm overnight with temperatures in the 60s. Sunny and a little more humid tomorrow. 80s inland, 70s at the coast. Right now it's 58 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. WBUR supporters include the estate of Joan B. Kroc whose bequest serves as an enduring investment in the future of public radio and seeks to help NPR produce programming that meets the highest standards of public service in journalism and cultural expression. This is the Fall Fundraiser on WBUR. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy, and we have an update on this fundraiser. We are considerably behind, and we need your help to get to our goal before this fundraiser ends on Thursday. That's coming up fast. You're listening because you care about what's going on in the world, and there's a lot. It's tough to keep up with what you need to know, even just about the city or the region. We do that for you consistently every day, and we're grateful to do that. But bringing you all that news is really expensive. This is when we come back to you and say, we need your help to keep all this going. 2,500 of you need to become new monthly contributors. We're asking you to do that. Please call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org and give what is right for you. With me in the studio this morning is Amory Sievertson. Good morning, Rupa. And, you know, give right now because we have a special opportunity on the table here until 9 o'clock this morning. Your contribution to WBUR will be tripled. Your monthly contribution, your monthly sustaining contribution that lets us know that we have the resources we need to keep being here for you day in and day out. So your $10 a month becomes $30 a month for a full year. Your $15 a month becomes $45 a month and so on. Your $30 a month becomes $90 a month for WBUR just because you made that call right now. And we hope you will do that because... It is fundamentally fair to chip in on something that you benefit from, something that enriches your life. WBUR matters to you. You're listening to it right now. Maybe you listen every single morning. We're asking you to protect it in any amount and take advantage of this triple match because a generous group of listeners stepped up to encourage you to do your part. They, too, think it's only fair when we all pitch in to protect something that we care about and that we rely on. So do your part right now. Now, have it tripled by calling 1-800-909-9287 or going to WBUR.org. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision. 
and hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose, work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to the station today. Again, we are considerably behind in where we need to be this fundraiser. As a listener, you are always important to us here at WBUR. We think about you all the time. This is when we're asking you to think about us, especially now. You make what you hear every morning possible. People who listen, like you, make up the largest share of our funding. Right now, all you have to do is go to 90.9, turn the knob and go to 90.9, or go to the WBUR app on your phone or ask your smart speaker to play WBUR. Maybe you read one of our many newsletters. All of that makes it easy to stay up to date on the news every day. That keeps you connected to your neighbors, your city, in a time when so many people are struggling to find ways to stay connected. Supporting the news you hear and depend on every morning here on WBR makes you a responsible and effective member of your community. Our goal, this fundraiser, is to bring in 2,500 monthly contributors because when people give monthly, it helps us know what we're working with so we can plan to bring you the news you depend on. We need you to step up right now and show how much you appreciate that dependable service we bring you every single day. Start a monthly gift to give our journalism a strong and secure future. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. The fact of the matter is WBUR is here for you whether you can give or not. So if you can, please do it now. Do it as generously as you can because for the next 47 minutes, that contribution will be tripled. That monthly contribution up to a full year. Your maybe $20 a month becomes $60 a month just because you made that call now. 1-800-909-9287 is the number or go to WBUR.org. Have your contribution tripled. Thank you. WBUR supporters include AE Events, design and production of corporate and nonprofit events, weddings and conferences. Website at aeevents.com. Authentic, artful, accomplished. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Leila Faldil in Washington, D.C. Good morning. It was quite the scene inside the New York County Supreme Court yesterday where Donald Trump appeared for a civil trial. The state's accusing him, his eldest sons, and his business of inflating its assets and wealth by billions of dollars. And outside that courtroom, Trump, of course, denied the charges. The actual net worth is substantially more. No bank was affected, no bank was hurt. They don't even know why they have to be involved. Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, also spoke to reporters before the trial got underway. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. NPR politics reporter Jimena Westillo was there and joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. So Trump had a lot to say outside that courtroom. What were you hearing? 
Well, he was quiet inside the courtroom, but he came out and spoke to reporters a couple of times. Um, at least twice, he was strongly denying any wrongdoing, and he continued to call the allegations politically motivated. This is something that we have heard from him before. And a, a lot of it was familiar, you know, personal attacks onto the judge and the attorney general. He called the attorney general racist, which is uh, an accusation he's launched before. And he argued that both of them are corrupt, according to him. But one argument that he did also make was that his financial statements had what he called a buyer beware clause. And so that also put a lot of responsibilities on buyers to be able to read those contracts and know what they're signing on to. Mm -hmm. The judge in the courtroom was not fully buying this argument, though, when it was presented in opening statements by the Trump legal team. The judge said, you know, look, like you can't just look at property 10 years later and say now that's what it's worth. The point of statement of financial financial conditions, which are some of these documents that are at the center of this trial, is, you know, being able to see what things were worth back then. But an attorney for former President Donald Trump went as far as to say that Mar-a-Lago, you know, one of Trump's resorts in Florida, could sell for $1 billion. That's compared to the $18 million from one tax estimate. They said that that's not fraud. It's good business. Just good business, huh? So Trump didn't testify. Who did take the stand? Well, first up was Donald Bender. He's an accountant for Mazars USA, the company that handled Trump's taxes for years. Bender mostly spoke about some of the operations for the Trump organization, particularly he detailed how he took the financial information he was given by the Trump executive team. Now, Trump did not testify yesterday, but he is on both of the attorney general's lists and the defense attorney's list of witnesses. Though being on a list doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be called up. Also on the list are Trump's children, Eric Trump, who was also present yesterday, and Donald Trump Jr. Both of them are defendants. Trump's daughter, Ivanka Trump, uh, is not a defendant, but is on one of the lists. Okay, so Monday was the first day. What are you watching for in the coming days? There are other witnesses to watch beyond the Trumps. Our next big witness is likely to be Alan Weisselberg. He's a defendant in the case and fairly high up on the list of witnesses. So we expect to see him earlier in the trial process. Weisselberg is a former chief financial officer at the Trump Organization. Earlier this year, he was sentenced to five months in prison for financial crimes he committed while working there. That was after last year he pleaded guilty to 15 counts, including grand larceny, tax fraud, and falsifying business records. Another recognizable name is Michael Cohen, who's a former Trump lawyer. He mm -hmm. might also appear as a witness in the coming days. NPR politics reporter Jimena Bustillo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court hears arguments in a major case that could threaten the very existence of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and potentially several other federal agencies, including the Federal Reserve. Here's NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg. After the 2008 financial crash, Congress created the CFPB to protect consumers from what were seen as predatory and deceptive practices by financial institutions. Since then, the CFPB has established consumer protections for financial transactions ranging from mortgages to credit cards. Now, however, the agency's survival is being challenged by payday lenders who have often reaped enormous profits from people of limited means who need a short-term loan. 
Prior to the enactment of CFPB regulations, payday lenders were routinely rolling over the amount due and tacking on fees as often as twice a day so that borrowers ended up owing thousands of dollars on small loans of $500 or less. In an attempt to protect consumers, the CFPB enacted a rule to limit these repeated fees, and the payday lenders challenged the rule in court, losing repeatedly. Eventually, however, one federal appeals court, the Fifth Circuit, ruled that the agency's funding is unconstitutional because it gets its money from the Federal Reserve, which in turn is funded by bank fees. Lawyers for the payday lenders declined to be interviewed for this broadcast, so we turned to lawyer Helgi Walker, who filed a brief for 21 former members of Congress opposed to the CFPB. The Constitution gives Congress the power of the purse. And that is set forth in the Appropriations Clause in the Constitution, which basically says that government efforts have to be undertaken pursuant to funds appropriated by Congress. And here, the CFPB was intentionally designed by its creators to not operate pursuant to appropriated money. The Biden administration replies that the appropriations clause in the Constitution was not meant to straitjacket Congress in how it sets up funding. The clause says that no money shall be drawn from the Treasury but in consequence of appropriations made by law. And in this case, Congress enacted a law that funds the agency by providing up to a capped amount each year from the combined fees earned by the Federal Reserve System. Like the CFPB, lots of important government agencies are not funded by annual appropriations, including the Federal Reserve itself, the FDIC, which protects bank depositors, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the U.S. Mint, and more. A bad decision in the Supreme Court could wreck the financial security of millions of families and turn our economy upside down. That's Elizabeth Warren, who first proposed the creation of the CFPB when she served in the Obama administration. If this Supreme Court says that Congress doesn't have the power to set up government agencies and laws without going through appropriations, understand, not only do all the banking regulators fall on their faces, Social Security and Medicare are now at risk. They don't run through appropriations. They are funded through a separate tax, a separate way to have an agency organized. So the implications of this case could echo through the lives of every person in America. That's undoubtedly why a total of 30 friend-of-the-court briefs have been filed in this case. What distinguishes the briefs supporting the CFPB is that they've been filed not just by the usual suspects, but by an array of groups that don't normally side with regulators. The mortgage bankers, the home builders, and the realtor associations warn that a decision against the CFPB could send the housing market into, quote, chaos. Representing them, lawyer Robert Loeb notes that the CFPB regulations provide a uniform set of rules that protect not just consumers, but also the people issuing and servicing loans who are protected from liability. And if those rules were just to disappear, there could be a freeze-up of the mortgage system, a paralysis which could have severe consequences for consumers, for bankers, and for the economy as a whole. There could be a severe period of disruption. 
Also siding with the CFPB is a coalition of 15 military and veterans organizations. Here's Corey Titus of the Military Officers Association of America. The immediate effect on service members would be you have a law that's on the books to protect them and there's no policemen. And the overall impact of that is frightening to think about. Part of the reason the military is especially worried is that young service members with a regular paycheck and a job are particular targets for payday lending businesses around military bases and online. In just the last few years, the CFPB has brought a number of critical enforcement actions under the Military Lending Act to protect service members from onerous and deceptive practices that end up costing service members thousands of dollars to pay off very small loans. I asked Helgi Walker, the lawyer opposing the CFPB, why the payday lenders seem to be sort of on their own in this case, with much, though not all, of the business world on the agency side. Sometimes it takes a renegade like these payday lenders to bring this kind of a structural challenge to a federal agency. Indeed, the CFPB's structure has already been successfully challenged once in 2020. In a wide-ranging Supreme Court argument back then, the court's conservatives were openly hostile to the agency. As Chief Justice Roberts put it, I mean, they don't even have to go to Congress to get their money. Isn't that something that we should factor in to the uh, uh, substantive question? Whether Roberts and the court's other conservatives want to go further this time by opening up a potential Pandora's box, that remains to be seen. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Northeastern University's Institute for Experiential AI with a day-long event, Leading with AI Responsibly. Explore the impact generative AI technologies like ChatGPT have on business with experts from Chegg, Google, Fidelity, and more. Wednesday, October 18th. More at ai.northeastern.edu. And Vertex working for people living with sickle cell and genetic kidney diseases, cystic fibrosis, and more. Careers in Boston, Cambridge, and Providence at vrtx.com. This is WBUR's fall fundraiser, and the update is that we are considerably behind where we need to be. We need your help to make up ground. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Our mission-driven, not-for-profit, independent journalism depends on your voluntary monthly contributions. We can't do the essential work you count on every day without your financial support. And think about what you get in return. WBUR is a pillar of your community. Strong local journalism is the cornerstone of our democracy. It's the information you need to make informed decisions for yourself, for your community, for your family. But local journalism is 
basically dying out. The pandemic has only intensified the decline. WBUR maintains one of the strongest local newsrooms in the country, but we can't do that without your financial support. Our goal is for 2,500 listeners to step up and become monthly contributors. We need you to do that now and become one of them right now in our hour of need as we are approaching the end of this fundraiser. And again, we find ourselves considerably behind. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. You're with me, Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy, and here's Amory Sievertson. Good morning, Rupa. Yes, you are with us, but are are we... Uh are we on your mind? Are we uh, part of your budget? You know, you're you're with WBUR right now. You're with us maybe every single morning. But have you become one of those sustaining members? Or are you waiting? Are you letting someone else foot the bill? WBUR doesn't have a paywall. That's crucial. It's crucial because we are a resource for ev- everyone and anyone who depends on us. And here is our CEO, Margaret Lowe, Uh, explaining a little bit more about why that matters so much these days. It's crucial because we now live in a world where only those who can afford a subscription have access to many of the most credible, high-quality news sources, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, our friends at the Boston Globe. They all have paywalls, and they must in order to support the quality journalism, but it further divides the haves and have-nots. At the same time, WBUR and NPR will always be free. We are a public service, which is why we count on people who can to contribute so we can continue to be a trusted source for anyone and everyone who lives here, whether they can afford to donate or not. We are considerably behind in this fundraiser, and we need your help now. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. You'll be able to take pride in the fact that you make this consistent, independent, factual journalism possible for your community for free at a time when the truth is a really big deal. It's getting more and more rare. But WBUR brings it to you every day. At the turn of a turn of a knob or the touch of a button, our goal is for 2,500 listeners to join other sustainers as monthly contributors this fundraiser. But the end of this fundraiser is coming up so fast. It ends on Thursday. We need you to be one of the people who step up. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And if you need to hear the reasons, again, our model is dependent on your support. You are are our biggest share of funding. And as we look ahead, we know we will depend even more on financial support from our listeners. Be our partner in independent journalism and take pride every time you hear us hold powerful people to account or provide a platform to people who don't have one. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And please do it right now, because just for the next 30 minutes, we have a triple match on the table. That means that whatever you can give uh, every month to WBUR will be tripled for the next year. No, it's not magic. It's a group of generous <laughs> listeners who have stepped up to do their part. It's 
it's a little hoping, like magic. It's a little like magic. But they've stepped up to do their part, hoping to encourage you to do yours. Is it $10 a month that you can do for WBUR right now? That will become $30 a month for the next year just because you made that call in the next 30 minutes. This only goes until 9 o'clock. A larger gift, it could be tripled too. Can you give $20 a month to WBUR? That will become $60 a month. Can you give $100 a month to WBUR? That will become $300 a month just because you made that call in the next 30 minutes. So don't let another one go by. Do it right now. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. Protect your public radio station and have your contribution tripled. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Keeper, a password manager designed to keep passwords secure and protect against cyber attacks. Websites and app logins are accessible across devices and passwords are shareable. More at keepersecurity.com. And from Capital One, offering their premium travel card, Venture X. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Details at CapitalOne.com. And from the Association of Plastic Recyclers, whose member companies recycle plastic packaging into new products, working towards a world where everyone uses less by recycling more. Learn more at plasticsrecycling.org. And from the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing transformative youth and criminal justice reforms. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida says he wants Kevin McCarthy out as House Speaker. He's introduced a motion to vacate the chair amid disagreements with conservative GOP lawmakers over spending priorities. Democrat Catherine Clark of Massachusetts is the House Minority Whip. What we are witnessing is a full-scale civil war in the House GOP. And we are going to make a decision, maybe as early as this morning, on how to move forward. She was speaking to NPR's Morning Edition. It's unclear if Gates' motion has the support to pass. Democratic activist LaFonza Butler will be sworn in to the U.S. Senate today. Butler was chosen by California Governor Gavin Newsom to fill the remaining term of Senator Dianne Feinstein, who died last week at the age of 90. NPR's Windsor Johnston says Butler will be sworn in by Vice President Harris. Butler is an established fixture in California politics. She was the former leader of the state's largest labor union and served as an advisor to Kamala Harris during her 2020 presidential bid. Butler will be the only black woman in the Senate and the first member of the LGBTQ plus community to represent California in the upper chamber. This is NPR News from Washington. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Today on Beacon Hill, there's a push to make Indigenous Peoples Day a statewide holiday. The change would permanently replace Columbus Day in the state. That holiday is coming up this Monday, October 9th. Those in support of the change say it would honor the people who actually first settled the land. A second company is backing out of its agreement to build a new offshore wind development in Massachusetts. South Coast Wind says its project is not financially viable anymore. The cancellation comes after Commonwealth Wind backed out of its agreement with with the state in July. Officials at South Coast Wind say they plan to submit a new bid at a higher price by the start of next year. 
A new exhibit at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art seeks to better serve audiences with disabilities. As WBUR Solon Kelleher reports, for the first time, Mass MoCA is offering audiovisual descriptions and tours in American Sign Language. Multimedia artist Joseph Grigley's new solo exhibition explores his experience of being deaf and the challenges of communication. Mass MoCA curator Denise Marconish says the exhibit offers the museum an opportunity to rethink its accessibility programming. Here was an artist who could help us figure out where to start and somebody who has been fighting for this for decades and who you could trust to say, like, these are the right ways to do it. Mass MoCA worked with deaf, blind, and hard-of-hearing artists to create the exhibit's accessibility programming. Descriptions of the works are available in both text and audio form, and curated tours are being presented in American Sign Language with translation into English. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Solon Kelleher. It's 8.35. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Lauren Holleran with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty in Cambridge, real estate brokerage that is grounded in data and committed to thoughtful design. LaurenHolleran.com. The Bruins have lost three straight exhibition games. They lost to the Flyers 3-1 to last night in Philadelphia. The Bees will host the Washington Capitals tonight. Low 80s today under sunny skies. Those skies stay clear tonight as it falls to a low in the mid-50s. Tomorrow, sunny again with a high in the upper 70s. Right now, it's 60 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 manage food for work. With online ordering from restaurants nationwide, budgeting tools, and payment by invoice, easycater.com. From Amgen, a biotechnology company working to fight the world's toughest diseases. In a new era of human health, Amgen is dedicated to accelerating the pace of change to push beyond what's known today. And from the Doris Duke Foundation. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm e. Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Leila Falden in Washington, D.C. The United Nations Security Council has approved sending a Kenya-led multinational force to Haiti. It was nearly a year ago that Haiti's Prime Minister Ariel Henry called for international help because his country was being overrun by gangs. NPR's Ader Peralta has been following this from his base in Mexico City and joins us now. Good morning, Ader. Good morning, Leila. So if you could first just explain how we got here and what exactly this resolution says. So look, Haiti has been spiraling out of control ever since 2021. That's when President Jovenel Moise was assassinated. And since then, gangs have taken control of the capital and they're exacting terrible violence on the population there. Mm. So Haiti has been unable to hold elections. And more recently, we've seen Haitians take matters into their own hands. We've seen mobs killing alleged gang members on the streets. Mm. And this resolution was very much led by the United States. And it gives a green light for an international force to come into Haiti and to try and rein in this anarchy. It approves the force for one year and the approval will be reviewed after nine months. Uh, The U.S. has been trying to get this done for a year. But it could not find a country to lead that force until Kenya raised its hand and volunteered its police. Okay, so Kenya volunteers. What do we know about Kenya's police? 
So I lived there for years and they have a mixed record. They've sent security uh, forces to other peacekeeping missions, but at home, Kenya's security forces have been accused of all kinds of human rights abuses, from extrajudicial killings to arbitrary arrests to forced disappearances. Um, After the Security Council voted to approve this mission, the U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, took questions from reporters, and I asked her, Knowing the record of the Kenyan police, are you sure this is a good idea? And are the Kenyans up to the task? Let's listen. We put strong accountability, strong vetting language in the uh, resolution. And uh, we plan to work to engage all of the participating member states to urge them to hold accountable any of their personnel who might be implicated in such violence. We've had very intense discussions with the Kenyans on this, and uh, we're confident that they will be able to carry out this mission. So, Ambassador, I mean, I've seen the Kenyan police in action. I have seen them indiscriminately beat Kenyans. Uh, Back in 2017, they shot and killed dozens of protesters. I saw bodies in downtown Nairobi. And similar clashes have been repeated over the past year. I mean, does this mean about accountability, what you just talked about, that we can hold the United States responsible for what the Kenyan forces do in Haiti? Uh, I wouldn't say you can hold the United States responsible but we will hold the Kenyans responsible. And that's what the resolution calls for. And I think that's an important inclusion in the resolution that we've added this strong language of accountability, the strong vetting language, the strong language on transparency and on human rights. And I can assure you that the U.S. will engage on these issues very, very uh, aggressively Ada, is there any sense of when this deployment might actually happen? We don't have a timetable. Um, the, US has, uh, the U.S. says it can happen in months if everything goes smoothly. The Kenyans are also saying months, but they've said it could be as late as January. But there's still more to do. The U.S., for example, is hoping uh, more countries will offer more money and more troops for this mission. That's NPR's Ader Peralta. Thanks, Ader. Thank you, Leila. LaFonza Butler will make history today when Vice President Kamala Harris swears her in as California's newest U.S. senator. Yeah, Butler will become the first black lesbian to openly serve in the Senate. She will serve out the remainder of a Senate term left vacant by the death of Dianne Feinstein, who represented California for three decades. For more on this, we turn to Scott Schaefer from member station KQED in San Francisco. Scott, so why did uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom choose LaFonsa Butler for that vacancy? Well, I think she has a lot of qualities that Newsom likes, including the fact that her appointment is historic. As we heard in the introduction there, she'll be the first lesbian of color to serve in the Senate. Newsom likes that. She's also relatively young, 44. And he's talked about her resume, you know, her personal experience uh, growing up in a middle-class family in Mississippi. And she's also had a lot of work uh, in her in her past on big issues that Democrats care about, like abortion. You know, she's head of EMILY's List, uh, where she's helped women who support abortion rights get elected. That's a big issue, of course, for Democrats. And, you know, as an open lesbian, she can very much relate to the attacks that the LGBTQ community are uh, undergoing right now and challenges to working people, all those things. And, you know, she's got really solid labor credentials, which is important to the Democrats. Basically, Newsom said that her experience just meets the moment. And this is how he summarized it yesterday. I just think LaFonza Butler is uniquely positioned, simply the best person uh, that I could find for this moment and this job. 
And a, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, what are her priorities going to be? But, you know, she's, she's coming into an institution where seniority is everything and she's dead last in seniority. I don't think we'll hear any big policy pronouncements from her. Um, but the big question really is, will she run for six years or is she just going to fill out the rest of Dianne Feinstein's uh, term? We don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah, there are a number of California Democrats already vying for this uh, Senate seat after Feinstein announced that she would not run for reelection. So how does Butler's appointment affect that race? Well, it's got a real potential to shake things up. It really ups sets the apple cart in a lot of ways. You know, Newsom said a couple of weeks ago that he only wanted to appoint someone as an interim senator, not somebody who would run against the current field of Democrats, which includes, as you know, Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, and Barbara Lee, three pretty well-known Democratic members of Congress from out here. He got a lot of blowback for that, especially from black women who thought it was kind of insulting. You know, they wondered, why didn't he name, you know, Congresswoman Lee, who's already running for the Senate seat? She's the only black woman in the field. Uh, but Newsom says, you know, it's up to Butler now whether or not she wants to run. She hasn't said one way or the other. But I do think that the biggest impact is going to be on Barbara Lee. It's hard to see how this is going to help her. Yeah, on Barbara Lee, there was a lot of pressure, as you mentioned, for uh, Barbara Lee to get that Senate seat. Uh, why do you think Gavin Newsom didn't choose her? In a word, politics. You know, we know that former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is a huge supporter of Adam Schiff. She's endorsed him for the Senate seat. And, you know, right now, Barbara Lee in the polls is running third behind Schiff and Porter. She's had a hard time raising money. If he had appointed her, it might have helped her, improved her chances a bit. Um, not something that Nancy Pelosi would have liked, um, you know, but she would have been running as an incumbent senator. That has its advantages. But, you know, the other thing is that Congresswoman Lee is 77 years old, and, you know, that might have worked against her, especially given all the controversy we've seen over the last month with Senator Feinstein's physical and mental decline. That is Scott Schaefer from member station KQED. Scott, thank you. You're welcome. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Spalding Rehabilitation. For expert care, turn to Spalding with three inpatient hospitals, a skilled nursing facility, and outpatient centers across Eastern Mass. Spalding is a world leader in advanced rehab treatment and research. U.S. News ranks Spalding number two for rehab care in the country. SpaldingRehab.org. You're listening to the Fall Fundraiser on WBUR, and the update is that we are considerably behind. We are asking 2,500 of you to join us as monthly contributors, and this is not the same old ask. This is urgent. We need to make that goal to keep our finances where they need to be and to be able to keep bringing you the news you depend on every day. And again, we are not nearly where we need to be. Meanwhile, the deadline is coming up fast. This fundraiser ends on Thursday. So go to WBUR.org to give what you can or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi here with Amory Sievertson, host of the Endless Thread podcast. Hey, Rupa. And you know, here at WBUR, we know all about deadlines. So <laughs> I'm giving you one right now. You have 15 minutes to take advantage of an incredible opportunity. That is the chance to have your monthly gift to WBUR 
tripled, tripled by a group of generous listeners who are who want to encourage you to step up and do your part because that's what this is about. Whatever amount you can give right now per month, they will triple it for the next year. So if it's $10 a month, they'll make that $30 a month. If you can give a, a larger gift, like $50 a month to WBUR, they will make that $150 a month just for making that call in the next 15 minutes. The number is one 800 9 You can give online at WBUR.org and you hear what those dollars pay for every time you listen to WBUR. Here's an example of that. This is WBUR's environmental reporter, Miriam Wasser, who recently brought us a series of reports on what's called competitive electricity suppliers. In Massachusetts, about a half million households pay more for electricity than they need to because they get their power from so-called competitive suppliers. These are the companies that often go door-to-door with false promises of cheaper energy bills. For a series I did about this industry, I spoke with a woman named Noemi Rodriguez. A few years ago, two men came to her apartment in East Boston. They said they were with the city and that they could get her cheaper power. I thought this was going to benefit me. I was so ignorant. Her electric bills were lower at first, but then they shot up. Some months, she was paying three times more for electricity than she needed to. I would pay it because I assumed something had gone up. And the worst part? She didn't even know she had a competitive supplier. Stories like this are quite common. Between 2015 and 2021, Massachusetts residents lost over a half billion dollars to this industry. And the people most likely to overpay are low-income residents, older adults, people who don't speak English fluently, people with intellectual disabilities, and college students. After the series published, I heard from listeners and readers all over the state, some who had actually fallen prey to this industry themselves or who knew people who did. A lot of people told me they really appreciated the guide we put together to help you figure out if you have a competitive supplier, because it's really not always easy to tell. Some of the stories we tell at WBUR take a long time to report and investigate, but they unravel complicated issues and expose inequalities. And I think it's part of what makes WBUR so important to our community. Then it's just one great example of what your money supports when you support WBUR. Help us now when we are considerably behind and we need you to step up to get us to our goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors before time runs out and this fundraiser ends on Thursday. Go to WBUR.org to give or call 1-800-909-9287. And it's worth mentioning here our ongoing commitment to coverage of the environment and of climate change. This whole week, we have a series focusing on climate solutions, taking that positive approach and telling you what you can do about climate change. Today, we had a story about fast-growing cities becoming more resilient in China. Barbara Moran, our own Barbara Moran, also had a story about a study that argues that Massachusetts's solar boom doesn't need to come at the cost of cutting down forest or covering workable farmland. Support that work. Make more of it. 
possible, go to WBUR.org to give or call 1-800-909-9287. You know, just like with tackling climate change, you matter. Your choices matter. Make a gift right now, a monthly gift to WBUR, when it will be tripled for the next 11 minutes by calling 1-800-909-9287 or going to WBUR.org. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fort Point Arts Community's Open Studios event featuring free performances by Boston Lyric Opera on Saturday, October 14th at Midway Studios. Visit fortpointarts.org for more information. This is WBUR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Fifteen years ago, Massachusetts had nearly no large-scale solar power. Now our small state ranks 11th in the nation for the amount of electricity generated from the sun. But much of this solar boom has come at a cost, cutting down forest or covering workable farmland. WBUR's Barbara Moran reports a new study argues that it doesn't need to be this way. What's been good for solar in Massachusetts hasn't always been great for trees. That's what Clark University geographer John Rogan found when he mapped where solar farms have been built in the state. What we found broadly is that half of all ground solar in Massachusetts over the past 15 years resulted in forest loss. I think it comes to 7,000 acres or so. And there's more solar coming. By mid-century, the state wants about eight times more than it has now in order to cut its carbon emissions. But can it cut emissions without cutting down so much forest? We actually can do both. We can do the solar that we need and we can hold on to a lot of the nature and working lands without sort of sacrificing them. That's Mass Audubon's Michelle Mannion, co-author of a new report with Harvard Forest. The report says there's plenty of room for solar on rooftops and on polluted sites like landfills and brownfields. There's widespread public support for this idea. But developers say it's not always so easy in practice. For example, Massachusetts leads the country in covering landfills with solar panels. But that means there's few landfills left for solar development. Andrew Tomagian is with Sunbug Solar. Most of the viable landfill and brownfield sites in Massachusetts have been explored and developed like it's a, you know, not a completely saturated market, but it's not a spot where we have a ton of undeveloped sites for solar at this point. So what about covered parking lots? Those seem like a solar panel no-brainer. But most of those roofs weren't designed to catch sunlight. They may be angled the wrong way or need stronger supports to hold electric gear. Lawrence Cook works for solar developer Pure Sky Energy. He says in addition to those costs, there's another challenge with parking lots. All those people driving around. You need to have all the protection around the posters so that people don't drive into them. You need lighting for security, and it all just adds up. And it's not just a little bit more, it is significantly more, almost prohibitively so in most cases. It is more expensive to put smaller solar projects in more complicated sites. Cutting down forests for a big solar farm is usually cheaper. But report co-author Jonathan Thompson says, those cost estimates don't include the full value of forests. Forests directly absorb carbon from the atmosphere. That's what photosynthesis is. So they are a technology for carbon removal. Thompson, the lead ecologist at Harvard Forest, says that when you account for the land's carbon storage value, preserving nature actually saves money in the long run. 
but we also need to remember that forests are far more than buckets of carbon. They are providers of clean air and clean water, and they are home for just suites of biodiversity. How to value these benefits remains a policy puzzle. The report authors say the state could do things like require developers to pay for the carbon and biodiversity lost if they chop forests down, or subsidize rooftop development even more. The state is already doing some of this, and it's designing new incentives, which it hopes to roll out next year. But it's unclear whether any new policies can both protect nature and achieve massive solar development in just a few decades. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Barbara Moran. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Loomis Sales, investing in relationships based on trust, collaboration, and shared values with nonprofit organizations and community partners, such as Eastie Farm, Zoomix, and East Boston Neighborhood Health Center, serving East Boston's diverse needs and vibrant culture. WBUR meteorologist Danielle Noyce says we're going to get one last taste of summer. Unseasonably warm temperatures these next couple of days feeling more like July than October. Highs will climb into the 80s this afternoon, 70s on Cape Cod. The record to beat in Boston is 85, set back in 1922. I don't think we'll quite get there in the city. I'm forecasting a high of 82 under sunny skies. Tonight, clear and mild lows in the mid-60s. Warm again tomorrow and a little humid too. We'll rise into the low 80s inland. A wind off the ocean will keep Boston in the mid-70s tomorrow. By Thursday, some clouds mix in with the sun high 70 to 75, still nearly 10 degrees above average for this time of the year. It's 61 degrees in Boston. WBUR supporters include William James College. Open house tomorrow for careers in school psychology, leadership, and mental health. Scholarships available. WilliamJames.edu. We're in our fall fundraiser here at WBUR, and we want to keep you updated and let you know that we are considerably behind where we need to be. We depend on listeners for our largest share of support. That is the model that our listeners have made work for us for years and years. And to keep it going, we need to bring on 2,500 new monthly contributors this fundraiser. And again, we are far behind where we need to be. We need you to step up now. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org and give what you can. It's whatever you think is right. We will appreciate whatever you can give. Over time, it has a huge impact for WBUR. Think about it. You rely on our consistent, high-quality work. Now we're coming back to you to remind you that this costs a lot of money, and we need your support to keep our future strong. So be part of what we do by contributing. Again, whatever feels right for you. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy here with Amory Severson. Good morning, Rupa. And I have a deadline for you listening out there. Four minutes. You have four minutes to make your call to WBUR, make that monthly contribution, and to have it tripled. Tripled by a group of generous listeners who have put more of their dollars on the line to encourage you to give yours. Can you do $10 a month right now for WBUR? It will become $30 a month for the next year just because you made that call in the next three to four minutes. Can you give $20 a month? It'll become $60 a month. Can you give $50 
$50 a month. It will become $150 a month. This is how it works. Everybody pitches in. Everybody does their part. You decide the amount that's right for you. And you hear the impact that you have every time you turn on WBUR. You know that everything that you hear on WBUR, your dollars helped make possible. So call. Give as generously as you can. In the next three minutes, it will be tripled. Call 1-800-909-9287 or give online at WBUR.org. WBUR built a multimedia reporting team to provide serious, deep, compelling coverage on one of the most important issues of our time, the environment. Changes to our climate pose serious threats to our communities, our health, and our planet. These threats aren't off in the distance. They are happening today, all around us. To maintain this team and this coverage, WBUR depends on you. Specifically, we are asking for your financial support. I'm Martha Biebinger. A contribution of $10 or $15 a month will have a big impact. Here's how you can help. You call 1-800-909-9287. You give online at WBUR.org. And that big impact that Martha Biebinger was talking about can be tripled when you make your gift. Right now, in the next two minutes, you will have your contribution tripled. Your $10 a month will become $30 a month for WBUR. If you can give, say, $25 a month, it'll become $75 a month for WBUR. So don't miss out on this. It's too important to us as we try to close out this fundraiser. And you know what? It's important to you. It matters to you that WBUR is here, that it's fact-based, that it's thoughtful, that it's analytical, that we tell stories in the way that we do. Protect that with your gift, 1-800-909-9287, or go to WBUR.org. We are considerably behind in this fundraiser. We need your help to get where we need to be. Some generous listeners think it's so important for you to step up that they gave WBUR WBUR, their money to triple match whatever you will give every month. And think about what you're supporting. Local news has a relevance it's never had before. Whether we're covering climate change, income inequality, or health care, these are the issues of our time. They will determine the direction of our lives. You need a reliable source of information about those issues, and you need to support that source to make it sure to make sure it'll be there for your future and for your community's future. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And some more of the triple match is just so much fun. I'd like to do the math. I know you did it, but I'm going to do it too. Give $10 a month, and this triple match will make it $30 a month. Give $15 a month, and the triple match will turn it into $45 a month. Give $100 dollars a month and it becomes $300 a month for WBUR. You can do three times as much for WBUR just by acting right now. Get in on the match at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Triple matches are like magic, except they have a huge impact on WBUR, and that is very real. It's not magic. Okay, again, WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And you know what? It feels powerful to support your public radio station because you are powering it. You are making everything that we do possible. We cannot do this with Without you, we are considerably behind. Let's fix that, right? Let's change that right now. You have just a minute left. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. Have your gift tripled. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Moonbox Productions with Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Wrongfully imprisoned, 
Sweeney Todd returns to London to seek revenge and save his daughter, aided by his meat pie baking neighbor, Mrs. Lovett. Starts October 13th at the new Arrow Street Arts Performance Venue. Tickets at arrowstarts.org. I'm On Point executive producer Jonathan Dyer, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUH-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station.